This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Cholley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. You can listen live on Times Radio, Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, on your DAB radio, your smart speaker, or download the app, and then you can listen uh, wherever you are. Right, on the show today, we talked a lot about buses, people sending in brilliant stories about buses. I think my favourite was someone who said they were sitting on a bus and a woman got out a bowl, a bottle of milk, and, a, and some cornflakes and ate the breakfast. Uh, but anyway, that, that was a lot of fun. So there'll be a bit of chat about buses. Uh, we've got PMQs coming up in just a moment. Tim Ship and I pause in the action live as Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak go at it. Slightly weird reference from Keir Starmer about it being rank pathetic, uh, which is his words on the government and not a reflection of the podcast. Uh, Lara Spirit rounds up the best of the rest as well, but first, we kick off with the columnists. With Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Yes, a very good morning. They're both here, they're both here, which is always nice. Alice Thompson, morning. Morning. Bob McCrum, good morning. Morning. Have you got any... We're talking about buses a lot today. Have you only got some top bus stories? I threw a racist off a bus the other the other week. Did you? Yeah, I wrote a column about it. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. It. <laughs> Everything's content. Everything's content. Did yeah. you do it? Did you sit there and think, I don't know whether or not to intervene, and you thought, I did a bit of that. Column. I did a bit of that. I didn't know whether to intervene, and then... Uh, Long story short, it was a bit of a standoff between him and the driver, who was a black guy. Yeah, this was a white. Guy. Uh, the racist was a white guy. Uh, they often but are. We didn't know he was a racist at that point, uh, and it was a bit of a standoff. The driver saying, "We're not going to go any further." Him refusing to get off the bus, and then when he started being racist to the driver, I was actually really relieved because it meant that I could throw him off the bus legitimately, yeah. and that we could all go home, which we did. Uh, Oh, it was very, it was, yeah, it was very satisfying. Yeah, I, I, my only regret was that I didn't say get off my bus like Harrison Ford does in uh, <laughs> Air Force One or to like Gary Oldman. Barbara Windsor, get, yeah. out, get out of my pub. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't got any buses in Devon, have you, Alice? So, so no, you no, we've, we've run stories. out of buses, I'm yeah. afraid, yeah. Yeah, yeah I used the tube in London as well. Yeah, there was no buses where I grew up in Somerset. I had to bicycle, cy- you cycle. bike, yeah. Yeah, I had to cycle from my hamlet to the nearest village <laughs> and leave my bike in somebody's garden to get, get on a yeah. bus. Or in really? the hedges, don't you? Yeah, slipped yeah. over on the ice once and foot nearly got one over by the bus. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's... <laughs> I thought you all walked barefoot on, on country yeah, yeah, lanes yeah. for yeah. To, uh, 10 yeah. miles to go to After school. After doing the harvesting, yeah. With a yeah. cow on a piece of string. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Right, uh, in fact, we're sort of in the countryside, or at least talking about um, the, the natural environment. Uh, you've written your column today, Alice, about Therese Coffey's environment plans, cleaning up rivers and litter. She used a swear word. The swear words made she it into did. the times. Indeed. Which I shan't repeat here, but it begins with S. Ooh. And there's a lot of it in the rivers. Yeah, yeah, and it's been taken out a lot in all my copy, I think. Silt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something, something even worse than silt in your rivers. Um, what did you make, then, of uh, Therese Coffey's plans? Well... Six and a half years after uh, we voted to leave Brexit, they have finally come up with what they're going to do for the farmers and for the environment. And actually, they throw most of it forward. So things like sewage is not going to happen for 27 years. So, I know. I know. So, you know, she say, may say she is going to clear up the SHIT, but <laughs> it's obviously not going to happen under her watch. And that's the problem. It's all been thrown forward. And yet the farmers are still not going to get anything. And they're the ones that are going to be asked to you know, lay hedgerows and, you know, not use fertiliser and, and look after the countryside when she obviously isn't going to annoy the Tories. Farmers were pretty pro-Brexit, weren't they? Well, That's that was right. their problem. So I yeah. remember the weekend before, we were all sent out, weren't we, the weekend before the Brexit vote uh -huh. uh, to the countryside and I was sent to Exmoor and when I went there, 39 of the 40 people I talked to were going to vote uh, to leave the European yeah. Union and now they've definitely changed their minds because... The farmers have come off far worse. They hated CAT, which was a common agricultural policy, but they really hate the new one, which is called ELMS, rather depressingly, yeah, yeah. Uh, which seems to be even worse, which um, uh, is going to give them less money, I think. And, and do you think that Therese Coffey is the right person to be doing this? Well, that's my problem, is that she couldn't even remember what disposable coffee cups were called. So she's, she has got a problem with the environment slightly. And she did once say that we should all be using something called Roundup in our gardens, yeah, which, which is been, also... Roundup was banned by dodgy, the... Dodgy, yes. It was banned by the European Union in 2004. What is it? It's a very uh, vicious weed killer, very oh. effective mm. weed killer, but it's got glyco... Yeah, and now it's all about rewilding. You don't really want to have that. So she's also trying to tell everything. them. Yeah, and she's trying to tell the farmers not to use stuff, and yeah. she's obviously using it in her backyard, so... I mean, there is an issue because she doesn't feel like a very environmentally sound person, nor is she much of a farmer in her pink wellies. In fact, her wellies have got little hearts all over them. Yeah. Uh, and she doesn't really look as if she's spent much time yeah. out there, even though she comes from Suffolk. And you have once seen her hugging a pig, actually, with Liz Truss. <laughs> so she has been there once or twice, but I just don't think you do She doesn't inspire that confidence. Sounds, that sounds like the uh, the Hindu that we had with the stag to, uh, where they were all on the, uh, the um, faggot bus. The faggot bus in the black country. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to be in kind of tweeds and a barber to, well, about, to know about the country. Michael Gove, you, you would not put down as uh, that agricultural. No, no but, but he was, he was great. There, but is it actually, but that's because Michael's very... to do with politics? Being good Partly, at politics. but they have gone through five of these environment yeah. secretaries, so it's, it's obviously a difficult job. Ranald, we just missed, actually. He was the one that was Liz Ranald Truss's. Ranald and my local MP. Yeah, and George, then Liz Truss actually did it years ago. So that, I mean, they've all done it for George various Eustace amounts of time. Yeah. For a while, yeah, yeah, yeah. He seemed all right. Well, he, he comes from a farming stock. Yeah. Strawberry farmers down in Cornwall. So that, that sort of opens that conversation, yeah. you know, it starts yeah. the conversation yeah. much better. Whereas under Labour, when they sort of gave it to Hillary Benn, it was a vegan. And also none of us really liked farmers yeah. that much until it got to, first of all, we had lockdown when everyone mm. suddenly realised that they needed them. Then yeah. you've had the Ukraine war so that you've realised actually we need to be sort of self-sufficient to a certain extent and we're not. Yeah. And then you've had the cost of living crisis with food spiralling. So you do yeah. want the farmers There's... now and you want produce coming out of Britain. I mean, the NFU, along with the Brewers, used to be the two massive lobby groups on the on the Tory party, didn't they? And uh, but they seem to have become detached from farming interests in in yeah. recent years. I think it's a whole part of this whole kind of centre versus the rest narrative, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, and they've lost they the feel, rural vote, the Tories. Yeah. And I don't think I mean Labour sort of beginning to pick it up, but it's not their natural constituency. Not, so. No, hardly. No, but if they start, I suppose what it's where the Lib Dems suddenly yeah. could, you know, having that, having got. Yeah. 
in your white part of the town world, in, yeah. in the southwest in particular. Yeah. Um, did they suddenly? Well, they did. They came Tiverton. back in Tiverton. Tiverton yeah, after, after the tractor after, porn after the tractor incident. Porn. Yeah. yeah. It just. I suppose it feels with Theresa. Co- there's a general feeling of malaise with central government. So you don't really kind of. You're not really kind of buying mm. anything that they say at the yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when she says everybody, I mean, there's a good point analysis column where she says everyone should live 15 minutes mm. from a park. Apparently, 23 out of 24 mm. of us already do. We live 10 and, minutes from a park, so and, almost everyone oh, lives. Almost everybody minutes. does. And yeah. also, if that weren't the case, how on earth would government mm. make yeah, that happen? Knock, knock down people's houses. What are they going to do? Exactly. What are they so going to do? We're going to put a good park here. I mean, that's just absurd. And people just won't don't yeah, respond yeah, to yeah. that. The idea that you everyone that, that's the mass is trying, yeah. like. Ethnic cleansing, you're going to move populations. Yeah. Meanwhile, so you, they're actually the national parks are losing money. So what they should be doing is putting more money into some of the national yeah, parks, and into local parks, rather than just saying well, actually. And yeah. finding and you know exemplary fines for the water companies who uh, yeah. pollute. We've got ourselves into a situation where a bunch of hedge funds own quite a lot of our water companies. So obviously they don't really care There's, about yeah, anything apart profit. from profit. In fact, they are legally obliged to care about their profit rather than anything else. That's yeah. the way they. That's the way it works. So the only thing they understand is money. So you've got to hit them. Yeah, if yeah, they're yeah. pumping uh, silt into other rivers then and the sea, then they've got to be made yeah. to pay. I think the sea is going to be a major issue, actually. I mean, yeah. It sounds ridiculous to have it as an issue at an election, but if well, you it's... go on holiday to the seaside yeah. or if you're into your kind of wild swimming or you've got kids who are messing around But it's what river. people care about. It's like potholes, you yeah. know? It's a local... Yeah, you think, oh, well, that's a kind of local government issue, but it's a, What was but it's it in important. the last election? There was a sort of... There was a Michael Go... It wasn't animal salience, was it? There was a sort of... There was a very there was a story that nobody really talked about, but it had huge online residence, and it was to do with animals yeah. or um, something to do. It was on, it was on sort of Michael Gove's beat, and it really right. can't, can't animals in potholes, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, well, and, yeah. and then not only finding uh, finding um, sewage companies, but we're all going to be fine if you've got a wood burning stove. <laughs> They're coming for your wood. Householders who flout air pollution rules on wood burning stoves could face an on the spot three hundred pound fine, yeah, and even a criminal record. We want to clamp down the oldest and dirtiest appliances. Uh, but the thing I don't really understand about this is how do they, unless someone climbs on your chimney, yeah. how do they catch you? Oh, they they can see the smoke coming out, so they can mm. go in if they do. But I mean, what my problem is that I think it's very much like the lockdown fines, is that, you know, you're, you're finding these huge amounts of money. I mean, they can go up to £2,500 a day. And yet, I bet, you know, the politicians probably will have them. No one's quite sure what they're getting wrong or right and, and you know, what kind of wood burning stove you can have and I think a lot of them did it in good faith so yeah. they thought it was a good idea to yeah. have a wood burning stove yes. it's not just cheaper that actually it felt more environmentally yes. sound a bit like when you first got diesel cars but exactly I was just going to say we were all told to get yeah. diesel cars but, but yeah. they, they're lowering the limit from four, from five grams of smoke per uh-huh. hour to three grams uh-huh. <laughs> How are they going to measure that? I don't know how you would check it. I mean, you can, you can, you can't really. I mean, are you going to sort of burst people's. So they got like a, like a gonna, window cleaner's big pipe yeah, with a measure. Yeah, or you're going to kick people's front doors down to yeah. check that. Yeah, I mean the uh, the solution is just to burn dry, properly seasoned dry wood. I mean, yeah, dry wood. That's you know, the, thing, not your the smoke is coming from water essentially, yeah. and uh, if you season your wood correctly and leave it a couple of years and make sure it's really dry. Shouldn't be too much of a yeah. problem. I got this lesson in the Scandinavia. I mean, they're the, they're the you know. Yeah, I was going to say they're the best ones, the Scandinavians, because you see those amazing yeah, wood yeah. piles that they take photos yeah. of, don't they? And we're not yes. quite up to that stage. Well, yeah, and they burn it, and you don't see any smoke yeah. coming out, or very, very, very little. So that's the that's. We could all the learn that. School. Only at the weekend, I was moving my damp wood from the front. <laughs> yeah, because it gets because fu- yeah, and I've moved yeah. it from that back, so I can. You yeah. need one of those high. I think a hydro same thingy to measure the water content of the wood, and when it gets to a certain. I mean, part of me thinks you're measuring the water content. It's fun. You've got to do something with it. I'll tell you what is fun. <laughs> what? We've got, I got a, uh, for my birthday, I got a pizza oven. 
And Ooh. I've got a thing that you can measure the temperature. You need to measure the temperature. Yeah. Just go about measure the temperature of everything. Yeah, exactly. Probably yeah. dad thinks that you can while away hours. Exactly. Well, the hydro thing is yeah. the same. And then when it Take gets... the temperature of the dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. measure the water content <laughs> of the dog. See whether he needs a wee or not. <laughs> Always does, always does. Yeah. Um, uh, Helen's been in touch, so she's just Googled the Liz Trust pig photo. Now I can't get the image of her out. I mean, it is quite a thing. Liz Trust, Therese Coffee are both holding pigs. Yeah, there's there a caption are. there, isn't there? Right, up next, we're going to get, uh, if you are homeschooling today because your schools are shut, we're going to get a little life lesson of some description from our two experts, Alice and Robert. And then we're going to speak to the man who was kicked off Twitter for tweeting about Woodcocks. Now, lots of people are at home today with their children. How annoying. Uh, it's like the pandemic all over again. So what we've been doing is offering little lessons so you can homeschool your children while you've got Times Radio on. So it's time for this. Right, the first teacher, Alice Thompson. What's your lesson that you want to teach the nation's children? Well, I got expelled, so don't get expelled. That's the first thing. <laughs> Try not if you can. Stay that's in school. Some, that's some top advice. And then I could do, I thought I might do oak trees, actually, because you probably oak had trees, to know about yes. oak trees, which is our national tree. Do you know that? No, yeah, go on. That Robin Hood hidden one, as did Charles I. That they are um, the Druids use them for bloodletting. That they are the tails and heads and tails on our coins, and that we have more ancient oaks than anywhere else in Europe. That so, is excellent. Does that sound good? Yeah, That's and perfect. also more species in oaks than anywhere else. And last year was a mast year. Do you know what a mast year is? Every seven years, the oaks shed far more acorns than usual, and they'll just go everywhere. And it is because the pigs used to eat all the acorns. So once every seven years, they just blasted them, and the pigs couldn't eat enough. So that's how you get Amazing. your new acorns. Well, go straight from a lesson in oak trees to uh, our next uh, teacher, Robert Crampton. I was going to talk about general life lessons. Yes, uh, this is good. Uh, what do they call it now? PSHE? Yeah, I that? think... Uh, one problem with teenagers, particularly teenage girls, is that they seek perfection, where perfect and perfection, as we know as we grow older, does not exist. Yeah. Uh, do not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I think it's a very good lesson for people, uh, boys as well. Yeah. I had that at school where I was, oh, if I can't be the best at something, I won't do it at all. Yeah. You know, uh, like with people, I think a lot of people do that with sport, yeah. uh, and maybe sporty people do it with academic stuff or. You know, and there's that, oh, I don't really like science, so I won't do it at all, or I don't really yeah. like languages, so I won't do them at all. Give it a go. Hang in there. The world is run by people who turn up. The world is not run by geniuses yeah. or... Uh, and actually, it's quite fun. I, I did a talk, actually, to some students a couple yeah. of weeks ago, and one of the things I told them was that discovering you, you're not very good yeah. at something, but you quite enjoy it. Exactly. We specialised way, way, way yeah, too yeah. early in this country, and try and keep all things going as long as you can, yeah. and, all, and all types of people. There's that specialisation within subjects, but there's also specialisation, you get subcultures within schools where, yeah, yeah. oh, I don't like people who like that sort of music, or I don't like people yeah, who play yeah. rugby, or I don't like people who are in drama. And it's just a whole load of nonsense, and you should just, just don't go with it. Uh, That's an excellent life that is, lesson. That is mine. And I could talk about Agincourt as well, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe later. Okay. <laughs> We'll do double history later on. You can talk about Agincourt. Uh, but we wanted to speak to uh, this, this story. Uh, you may have heard about this. A bird conservation charity. It's all, it's all very very environment and countryside, yeah. isn't it? Just for your eyes. A bird conservation... <laughs> as you live in the woods. A bird conservation charity was bumped off Twitter for eight days after posting, posting several tweets about woodcocks. <laughs> this is serious, Robert. The British Trust for Ornithology, the BTO, said it lost its account during the Big Garden Birdwatch campaign. And we can uh. speak to Tom Stewart, who is the social media manager at 
the British Trust for Ornithology. Morning, Tom. Good morning. So, how when we're talking about lots of tweets about woodcock, how many how many woodcocks are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about quite a lot. So, um, we are um, running a survey later this year to find out more about the UK's breeding woodcock uh, population. The woodcock is, to those listeners who are not familiar with it, is a, um, a threatened and very beautiful wading bird, um, which is in real trouble in the UK. So we're trying to find out more about it. And we're trying to recruit new volunteers to our woodcock survey coming up in the spring. And what are you tweeting? Do you like woodcock? Would you, would, what, what are you tweeting that caused upset? What were we tweeting? So it was my colleague, um, our social media officer, who was who was tweeting about it, and they were, um, they, we were um, tweeting videos of woodcock displaying. Um, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and, 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 and then other you, things like that. And you got bumped off Twitter, and then Chris Packham got involved. Chris. Yeah, we did. So, um, so we we got we we did we got the the content was flagged as sensitive. Um, because of um, well, for obvious reasons, the yeah. algorithm I think found 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 fault with it, um, and then yeah, and then we were suspended um, because we didn't we didn't fulfil um, a complex set of age verification criteria, which which we were um, prompted to complete after oh. this word had been detected. Yeah, right. and then you know, very, it's very hard to get hold of anyone on Twitter, um, and then yeah, well, there's nobody there now. <laughs> well, yeah, it's quite so, hard know, before, but they've got rid of all the people. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think so. I think that that perhaps is the root of this problem. Um, but yeah, then we spoke to Chris Packham, who's a friend of friend of our organisation, um, and some other people. And then yeah, he he and others tweeted about it at the end of last week, and then we got back in over the weekend. So and Elon, Elon Musk actually responded in the on Twitter to um to uh, to Chris Packham. He did, yeah. He so the BBC there was a, originally there was an article on uh, BBC News which um, he responded to. Um, he said, "There's mo say, the most ironic thing I've read in a while. How much? Did. How much wood could a woodcock? <laughs> and dot 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 didn't finish dot, it. Dot off. dot Yeah. Um, but that yes, he did. He did. So and so that, you're, you're and all back tweet, on that now. Tweet has brought it. We are all back on, and you know we have. You know we have. You know it's good. I think we've probably reached audiences. We may. Well, I was going to say that if so people are listening, reached. what is your so, exactly, what is your Twitter handle exactly. so they can find you? Our Twitter handle, which is now back up, you know, back up and running, is." underscore BTO for the British Trust for Ornithology and we are back in business if you want to give us a follow find out more about our Unders Woodcock survey underscore or, or... B oh yeah there we are there we are there we are yeah, there you are oh, I'll follow yeah. you there or... we are fantastic well always happy to have another well, um, while you're there Tom let me just ask uh, Alison Robert have you ever been suspended from Twitter for posting anything obscene I'm not on Twitter <laughs> you're not on I'm Twitter, not on Twitter no because otherwise uh, you would. Otherwise, I wouldn't. I wouldn't last. No. I'd, yeah. I mean, I'm worried about woodcocks, but I mean, I'm more worried about tits. I think. Uh, <laughs> Are you? Yeah. The lack uh, of them. Yeah. That that, that concerns yeah, me. Yeah. I belong to a swimming group called the Blue Tits. Right. Do you? Yeah. That might be banned. I think. Yeah. Get that on They're all Twitter. called Blue Tits, of course. You can imagine. But then is that maybe the Twitter logo? Because <laughs> that's a bird, isn't it? She's blue. Could be. Is a blue tit. Yeah. yeah. That should be banned. Have you ever been bird watching? Have you ever been Went bird watching once again, obviously to write a column obviously. about <laughs> uh, it. in Nature Reserve in Hackney. And uh, there's a whiteboard. Uh, I was there by myself. There's a whiteboard where you could write down the species and what people. You've seen. What you'd seen? There must yeah. have been I don't know. There's 18, 20 species. So I just wrote shag question mark. Right. At the end, which I thought was pretty standard. Yeah. Had you but, seen anything? Sorry, go on, I don't Tom. know whether I'd seen a show. No, I was, gonna, I was just about to say, you know, there are all sorts of other potential pitfalls which may await us in future, as you know, as I think you've just been 
you know, you've just go, go on, Tom. Share, you share some. No, of them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to say any more. I think you've got you've got two of them covered. No, we're yeah. just doing right a serious there. There bird. There are all sorts of there are all sorts of different types of tit. Yep. For example, the UK mm. is home to a number of different breeding species. Um. So, but you know, with and yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, I would like to give you know, no more examples from me, but there are plenty <laughs> out there. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just going to just broadcast absolute and so if people actually want to get involved in your your woodcock uh, survey <laughs> how, how do they do that so that again if you just go to our website which is www.bto.org all the information's on there but it's not just woodcock because that's a you know that, no. that involves going out um, three times in the evening night time during spring is quite a that's fairly high um high effort required for the woodcock survey but we do something called garden bird watch which is just a weekly count of the birds you see in your garden there are all sorts of different surveys for all sorts of different people so yeah if you head to bto.org you'll find something which will be right up your street I've there we else. are covering all, all tastes and needs uh, thank you for <laughs> exactly. that tom 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 stewart from the british trust for ornithology thanks very much for that uh phil's been in touch saying this is just great radio yoga yesterday woodcocks today can't wait for tomorrow <laughs> i was doing yoga in the studio yesterday with ben bradshaw Oh, yeah, I heard a bit of that in the lift. Yeah, a bit yeah. of down dog, are you allowed to say that? Yeah, yeah, we did do a bit of downward dog, yeah. Is that what you call it? Down dog? Downward dog. Well, downward down dog. dog. Downward yeah. facing dog, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah down, even better. Yeah. yeah. Even better. I'm a bum in the air and everything. That's the... Yeah. And then uh, Amanda's been in touch to say, it's a pity that Twitter aren't so vigilant about poppercocks. So there we are, <laughs> which is a good yeah, point. Good. Excellent point. Right, offcom.com is the website you're going to need for that if you want to complain about any of the content you've just heard <laughs> over the past uh, 20 minutes. They're always, uh, always keen to hear from us. Uh, lovely to see you both. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton there. And of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Box. Up next, though, is PMQ's Unpacked. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. He's made it. He's beaten the strikes. Tim Shipman, in the nick of time. I don't think anyone beats the strikes, do they? Well, you're here, uh, crucially. I would be interested to see if... uh, Keir Starmer talks about strikes or Do lethal think... chaos. It wasn't lethal, but it was certainly chaos. It was certainly chaos. Journey in. I mean, if we if he does all six questions on strike, we know how this goes. He says the government is a disgrace. Why are these strikes happening? And Keir, uh, Rishi Sunak says it's your union paymasters. Yeah, 
my sister messaged me this morning and said, I predict two union paymasters in the next okay, half well, an hour. So, how, how many do, so that's your sister, is two. How many do you, do you think we're going to get? I think probably that's, uh, yeah, 1.5 would be the would be the, the spread, wouldn't the spread, it? So yeah. you buy or sell at that. I'll go three, just yeah. to just to, Okay, just well, to I'll say. sell and say it's only one, <laughs> which is why I think he might not just do that. I mean, with the, you know, yeah. um, last week there was a lot of Nadim Zahawi and he's now gone and still a lot of people saying that wasn't handled the right way. And, yeah. you know, what arguments has Starmer got to build uh, ahead of the next election? Um, one is that this government isn't very good at governing, which is where strikes comes in, and the other is that there's a bit of a whiff of something not quite right about them, and that may be uh, why we hear a bit of a two-pronged assault again this week. Um, it's uh, 100 days tomorrow, Rishi Sunak's been Prime Minister. Do you think Keir Starmer might frame it like that? Lots of people sort of looking back over all that he's done or or, or hasn't. Uh, it would be an interesting framing device, and you can think of a few sort of... Uh, centenary jokes um i can't think of them off the top of my head but you're the stand-up comedian matt so i'm sure in the well, next half an hour we'll do that on the show uh tomorrow um uh luke says he thinks he's going to say uh union paymasters once per question uh um so yeah let us know what you think go on the times radio youtube channel you can watch along as we pause the action live in the house of Commons. let us know what you think uh, Andy's in Taunton, Jonathan's in Bewdley, we've got Peter in Barton-on-Sea, Susan in Portsmouth. Hello from Wiltshire, says Wendy. Uh, and uh, somebody's having a hot chocolate on the go in Bournville. Seems like the right place Quite for Quite sort of place to be going on. Uh, very good. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, hop on the YouTube channel uh, as we watch along. We go live to the House of Commons for question number one from Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in his words about the First Minister of Wales and the sad loss of his wife? Everybody, I think, knows just how close they were, um, and I know that he's absolutely devastated um, by her loss at the weekend. That's Mark Drakeford's wife, Claire, who died at the weekend. ...briefly emerged from his hibernation at the weekend. He raised more questions than answers. So, in the interests of integrity and accountability, can he set the record straight? Did his now former chair tell government officials that he was under investigation by the taxman before or after the Prime Minister appointed him? Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, I appointed the independent adviser to investigate this matter fully. He, he has set out his findings in detail over the weekend and on receipt of those findings I took action and I'd refer the honourable gentleman to the independent advisor's report. Well I wasn't expecting that. No, it was quite a precise sort of question. Yeah, yeah, though I think it's um I think what Starmer was driving at there um is that while Nadim Zahawi was keeping things about his tax affairs under wraps for quite some time, if I can remember correctly I think he finally said something to Whitehall in September and Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister in October. Um, so he's trying to sort of tease out, yes, you got you set up your inquiry, you got to the truth, you sacked the guy, but how did it happen to start with? Um, why wasn't it prevented in the first place? And I think, you know, a lot of Tories are wondering why the system didn't work as well, really. And given that everyone knew, everyone in politics or journalism knew, uh, that he was at least... Well, there have been reports he'd been investigated. It was possible someone could have asked a proactive question as well. Uh, well, quite. Um, it depends whether you, you know, 
ask questions that you know the answer to, uh, or you ask questions that sometimes you don't know the answer to. Yeah. Uh, that happens both in government and at Prime Minister's questions. And I think Keir Starmer asked that question knowing the answer. It'd be interesting to see as well, because uh, there's reports in the Times today that um, uh, Rishi Sunak was warned about giving a job to Dominic Raab as well. So this this may well be the, where uh, Keir Starmer is going. And the... the other thing that was interesting, he sort of talked about him emerging from hibernation at the start, which is obviously a sort of jibe about Sunak keeping his head down. But if you keep talking about how he's sort of weak and is the job too big for him if you can put the idea of a sort of small vole hibernating <laughs> into the public's mind, that's also, there's a little bit of word association there. Um, it's interesting. It's like when uh, the Labour Party, under I think under Gordon Brown, tried to cast David Cameron as a chameleon who rode a bike and they had sort of had a sort of computer-generated chameleon yeah, on a bike. It really worked. And it? by the end, it was, it was quite cute. It was like a cartoon character. It was character. a very cute cartoon character. It's yeah. like the one where they said, they tried to depict him as an ancient sort of throwback to the 80s with, and they had a mug with fire up the quattro and Cameron yeah. sitting on the, uh, as Gene Hunt yeah. sitting on the, and it, it was the coolest cool. David Cameron's <laughs> ever looked in his life. The Tories really were delighted those, uh, those They started those making the mugs themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really interesting. Right, uh, let's go back there. Let's see where this goes next. This is question number two from Keir Starmer. Oh, uh, oh, come on. Anyone picking, up a, anyone picking up a newspaper in July last year would have known that HMRC and the National Crime Agency were investigating months before he appointed him. Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, the Independent, 6th of July, new Chancellor's finances secretly investigated by the National Crime Agency. The Observer, three days later, 9th of July, revealed officials raised flag over tax affairs before he was appointed Chancellor. The Financial Times, the next day, 10th of July, pressure bills to explain his finances. Is he saying his officials hid this information from him, or was he just too incurious to ask any questions? Mr Speaker, as I've said before at the dispatch box, the usual appointments process was followed with respect to the Minister without portfolio. No issues were raised with me at the time of his appointment, but as the independent adviser's report makes clear, there was a serious breach of the ministerial code, and that's why I took decisive action on receipt of that report. I took decisive action. I suppose if he keeps repeating it, it'll um have an impact um uh i mean it was basically the same question there from kiss i mean as a as an attempt to sort of move the argument on it's just the same question again wasn't it yeah uh, and one might be tempted to say that um uh, uh, labor politicians spend more time reading the eye and the observer than conservative ones do but um i think the problem here is that you know um it's a perfectly fair line of questioning from starmer um and he's he's certainly onto something but he he knows full well that um you know, it's the proprietary and ethics team's job to look into this stuff. And they were not told by the revenue what was going on. Mm. Um, and they were not told by Nadim Zahawi what was going on at the point that he was appointed. Um, and by that point, um, the dispute he'd had with the revenue was over. Um, and apparently HMRC then have no duty to say that there was previously an investigation yeah, and he yeah. paid a penalty, which seems a bit daft, frankly. Um, and, you know... Uh, on that, both politicians and senior civil servants in Downing Street agree. Um, and Starmer, 
while he's making a perfectly fair political point, um, if he does find himself in Downing Street, might want to do something about that. Yeah. Otherwise, he'll find himself in the same boat in a couple of years' time. And actually, what did... I mean, there were lots... You know, there were seven breaches of the ministerial code as judged by the ethics advisor. But a, a key complaint was the fact that the deems of Harvey hadn't been straight, that he literally said things in public which were not true. Well, he said things in public. He said things to the propriety and ethics team, yeah. and he appears to have said things to at least two prime ministers that yeah. were untrue. And that, that is more crucial in a way than the not paying the tax. I mean, and this not is paying a, the tax a lot is of the problem thing. with the British Constitution. You know, it is its strength is that it evolves and, um, you know, it's not written down and people don't turn up and say, you know, like they do in America, this thing that was written 200 years ago must be wholly written out. Um, but it does rely on the system working and yeah. people, um, you know, going along in the way that, that Peter Hennessy, that great sort of uh, academic of Whitehall, would say is the good chap's theory. Mm -hmm. You know, it works when people abide by the unwritten laws. Yeah. Um, and in this case, there is a ministerial code. It is written down. Um, anyone reading it um, would have been, uh, you know, it, it, it's inescapable, the conclusion, that Nadim Zahawi quite fancied the jobs that he was about to get and decided to withhold that information. Yeah. Um, uh, if someone does that, then the system needs to be better at identifying where he's told porkies. Yeah. And Nadim Zahawi and people like him in future ought to know that the system will find them out. And in the end, of course, it was leaks in the media that found him out. Um, and the, the rest of the White fourth seems to be the fourth fact. estate yes. appears to have left, um, you know, the, uh, the third estate um, in its wake, frankly. Yeah. Right, we go back. Uh, I can't believe he's going to do all six questions on uh, on Nadim Zahawi, given that's what uh, he didn't even do that last week when he was still in post. But let's go back then to the House of Commons. This is question number three from Keir Starmer. So, in relation to his former chair, his defence is, nobody told me, I didn't know, I didn't ask any questions. Is the Prime Minister now also going to claim that he was the... O Order, Prime, Prime Minister. Mr Gullis, we heard enough last week. I can't hear what you're saying. I might not be able to hear what you're saying, but I can certainly see your mouth moving. It'll be moving outside if it continues. Prime Minister. That's a Tory MP, Jonathan Gullis, getting ticked off. So, for his former chair, nobody told me I didn't know, I didn't ask any questions. Is the Prime Minister now also going to claim that he's the only person completely unaware of serious allegations of bullying against the Deputy Prime Minister before he appointed him? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, the... The Honourable Gentleman asked, uh, asked these questions about what was known, and I followed due process. I appointed an independent adviser as soon as I was made aware of. Uh, as soon as I was made aware of new information, the independent advisers conducted this process. But if he is so concerned about what people are saying and is so concerned about behaviour in public life, then recently one of his own MPs was forced to speak out because being in his party had reminded her of being in an abusive relationship. And then, and then, and then his own office was caught undermining her. So he ought Rosie to be supporting her and her colleagues, but if he can't be trusted to stand up for the women in his party, he can't be trusted to stand up for Britain. Keir Starmer shaking his head at that one. Um, well... Well, as you predicted, we are now on. We have to... moved on to Dominic Raab. <laughs> on the front of the Times today, Number Ten was warned of Raab issues before Sunak promoted him. Uh, civil servants flagged there have been issues with Dominic Raab in his previous departments before Mr Sunak decided to bring him back into government. Downing Street sources insisted the Prime Minister was not directly told 
and that officials never advised against appointing Barb. Uh, but obviously, uh, and actually, I think he got a bit mu of a muddle with his um, timeline there because it's not the independent uh, um, ethics advisor that he's got looking into this because he hadn't got around to appoint it. It was Adam Tolley KC who is investigating complaints. So many sleaze advisors, so little time. It's, it's and the complaints about uh, uh, his behaviour when he was Foreign Secretary, Justice Secretary and Deputy Prime Minister for Boris Johnson before being sacked by Liz Truss. He denies the bullying. But again, I suppose it's this sort of... There's, there's, as ever with politics, there's the facts and there's the perception that two cases of everyone being aware of issues surrounding someone and the Prime Minister appears not to have thought to ask. Yes. Um, look, I would say from my own personal experience that there's a material difference between these two cases. Nadim Zahawi was a very rich man. He came from Iraq. He made a fortune. Um, he clearly put some of it in... Uh, tax-efficient bodies and all the rest of it. Um, and there was a general sense that if he ever became a big cheese in politics, that he would be worth a closer look. And I think that was the view of MPs and journalists and, and all the rest of it. Um, I think there are very few people in Westminster who are not aware of specific, detailed and extensive allegations about Dominic Raab over a period of years in separate departments. And these things are always difficult. You know, when is a complaint, a formal complaint? When is it written down? Mm. Um, when are they prepared to play ball in cooperating with um, uh, journalists who have witnesses who say that about this behaviour, said it was, you know, we were told it was bad behaviour. Uh, Rob always insisted he was never a bully and it was always, uh, it, it, got, it was quite difficult for a long time until these witnesses started mm. coming forward in more uh, meaningful numbers uh, to, to get this to the point that it is now. But... Um, I defy anyone who's spent any time in Westminster for the last five or six years to not be aware of yeah. the claims that Dominic Raab is at the very most generous, a very hard taskmaster as a, as a Secretary of State and to a degree that makes other people think that he is a bully. Um, now, it's not for me to decide whether he is or not. It's for um, Adam Tolley, KC. But, um, you know, the idea that Sunak would not have been aware of that, at least in the round, forget even what the Times is revealing. Yeah. You know, he and took also, a decision to appoint this guy. And he supported it, him. It trust could be that he out, was you know. aware. He told him, you know, no more, behave yourself. You know, that that that, that could be a defence. Everyone deserves a second chance. He acknowledged to me that there was an issue and we've had no complaints while I've been Prime Minister. That could be a line. It could, but it's not his line. It's not his line. It's not his line. It's not his line. I know nothing. Seems yeah. to be the uh, seems to be the line of attack. Uh, interestingly, as PMQs is unfolding, there is a there's a protest march uh, making its way through central London uh, as part of the big uh, big day of strike action, uh, which is happening right across the country. It's interesting that so far, at least, neither neither Keir Starmer nor uh, Rishi Sunak have referred to it. Rishi Sunak uh, raising the case of Rosie Duffield, who's the Labour MP for Canterbury, uh, has been a big critic of the Labour Party's policy on trans rights. Uh, has faced lots of criticism and abuse as a result. And there was a story a couple of weeks ago about how Matthew Doyle, the uh, director of communications for the Labour Party, had been caught being rude about her in a coffee queue. Um, and, uh, yeah, Rishi Sunak <laughs> basically going from, I do nothing about my bullying, but why are you not being nicer to Rosie Duffield? Well, and there is a, you know, there is a theme there. Um, you don't have to go back very far in the Labour Party's history to find female journalists mm. taking security guards to Labour Party conference because they were being abused. Um Various people left the Labour Party, Luciana Berger being the most uh, uh, striking example. 
being abused over anti-Semitism, and now this is another of those push-button issues yeah. which gets everybody in the Labour Party very hot under the collar. And Rosie Duffield um, does not like the uh, the stance that Starmer and others in her party are pushing. Um, and frankly, if you look at the polls, most of the public don't either. Uh, well, there we are. Uh, let's find out if... Because it'd be interesting, there could be more of this. If Rishi Sunak's already gone on question number three... How he, uh, how he keeps this going. Let's go back to the House of Commons. It's Matt Shorty and Tim Shipman bringing you PMQ's Unpacked live on Times Radio and on the Times Radio YouTube channel. We go back to the House of Commons for question number four from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, at the last count, at the last count, the Deputy Prime Minister was facing 24 separate allegations of bullying. According to recent reports, some of the complainants in the were physically sick. One says they were left suicidal. How would he feel if one of his friends or relatives was being forced to work for a bully simply because the man at the top was too weak to do anything about it? Triple out, Dominic Marby sitting next to Rishi Sunak. I noticed he didn't say anything about why one of his own MPs describes being in his own party. And Mr. Nipper, when I was made aware of formal complaints, I instructed a leading independent KC to conduct an investigation because I take action when these things happen. But what did he say at the weekend? He said at the weekend that hate had been allowed to spread unchallenged in the Labour Party under his predecessor. He was speaking as if he wasn't even there. But he was sitting right next to him, supporting him for four long years, not Jeremy challenging. Corbyn, and it is typical of him, Mr Speaker, declining to lead, sitting on the fence, carping from the sidelines and, and never standing up for a principle that matters. Well, there's quite a lot there. Um, uh, Dominic, well, I'm just sort of staring blankly ahead in the middle of the distance as if they're not talking about him well, at I all. Well, I think it's his staring blankly ahead that may have upset <laughs> some civil servants <laughs> over the years. At least he didn't uh, throw a tomato at um, uh, Keir Starmer. Um, no is, formal complaints. No formal says, complaints. Says Sunak, again. and that's his defence. And, and again, you know, our understanding yeah. is lots of people complain, but because they didn't write it down... Uh, it was never taken as seriously as it should have done. Um, and and now they've started writing the way it down. that people move around in Whitehall, th they end up making a calculation. If you're sort of middle-ranking official, don't make a complaint against the Foreign Secretary because you won't get that job at the Ministry of Justice. Or, well, you know, or keep your head... Or have a quiet word with your permanent secretary and find yourself moved to another department yeah. without actually making a fuss about it. Yeah. Um, but till, till question four for Sunak to deploy the Corbyn defence. Jeremy Corbyn, yeah. We still Though in this case, actually, I mean, to be fair to the guy, you know, um, Starmer, you know, I think most people would agree, has done a pretty decent job of cleaning up the Labour Party from anti-Semitism. But uh, I know a lot of Labour MPs and a lot of people um, uh, in the Jewish community who think Starmer did sit there with his mouth mm. shut and refused to say anything because he wanted the votes of Corbyn supporters when he went for the leadership and he didn't want to make a fuss. And there are almost no recorded public comments of Keir Starmer condemning yeah. that at the time. So, you know, in a way that it's actually, a reasonable others, argument. Others who were in the shadow cabinet were quite... I remember interviewing... Emily Thornberry was incredibly yeah. outspoken on that yes, issue while exactly. still serving her. No, he was not a study in courage at that point, it's fair to say. And actually, to make that speech at the weekend, uh, as Keir Starmer did, which is what Rishi Sunak was talking about, talking about hate speech, I mean, it is a reasonable criticism to make. Yeah. You can't make a speech about how awful it was while you were sat in the shadow cabinet 
in one of the major jobs as shadow Brexit secretary, try to make Jeremy Corbyn prime minister. Yeah, that's right. Though, you know, I mean, fair, fair dues to Starmer when he got in, you know, it was his first priority and he's made a reasonable fist of it. But, um, it, you know, this is the politics is a, a dirty business and it's a pretty reasonable line of uh, yeah. attack from Sunak. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's already getting a bit dirty. We've still got two more to go. We go back to the House of Commons there. This is question number five from Keir Starmer. I want to hear both sides, and I'm not going to have, be interrupted by either side. And I'm particularly looking for people who want to continue this, because we will sort it out today. It's just like side. one of his predecessors who treated questions about conduct as something to brush off, who thought that ducking responsibility was a perfectly reasonable response for a prime minister. At least in fairness, his predecessor didn't go around pretending he was a paragon of integrity and accountability. <laughs> but on that subject, was it a coincidence that the two people who arranged an £800,000 line of credit for the former Prime Minister were both shortlisted for plum jobs at the BBC and the British Council? Yeah. Yeah. Boris Johnson's Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, as we addressed previously, the appointments process for the BBC chairman is rigorous, it's transparent, it's set out in a public code of conduct, and indeed, and indeed, was fully supported not just by an expert panel members, but also by the cross-party DCMS Select Committee, including, including where Labour members described the appointment as impressive. But Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, back. Back, back this week in terms of what is actually happening to the people of this country, he voted, he voted this week with the unions to oppose minimum safety levels. He voted with Just Stop Oil to water down the public order bill. And what do the unions and Just Stop Oil have in common? They bankroll him and his party, Mr Speaker. There we are, finally we got there. So while he sides with extremist protesters and union bosses, we stand up for hard-working Britons and school children. I'm wanting to point out that he didn't actually use the phrase paymasters. Well, he was pretty close. Union barons. I know, but if I was a bookie, I wouldn't pay out. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, Well, Well, uh, interesting. Starmer now using the Johnson defence in the other direction. Saying, you know, well, that good old Boris Johnson, he didn't claim to be a saint like you, (laughs) Prime Minister. Yeah, you're claiming to be a saint. And uh, obviously it's a reference to um, the story that Sunday Times had extraordinary reporting on, the, the ins and outs of Boris Johnson's finances. Who tried to help him out? Richard Sharp uh, appears to have uh, got involved to try to find a guarantor for an £800,000 loan for Boris Johnson shortly before he became uh, chairman of the BBC. And Boris Johnson, we should stress, says that he's never had any financial advice from Richard Sharp. Unfortunately, my colleagues uh, unearthed a letter in which the Cabinet Secretary told him to stop giving financial advice to Boris Johnson. Um, well done, Gabriel Pogrand and Harry York, who've done splendid work on this. Uh, yes, and uh, Boris Johnson's in Washington today, so he's sort of miles away from all of this. Yeah, and actually, I mean, you know, the point was not even made by Sunak, but obviously the Johnson stuff is really nothing to do with him as yeah, Prime yeah, Minister. Yeah. It was all prior. This is just Starmer just using question five to re, you know, to sleaze. pull in more yeah, sleaze, yeah. you know. Um, um one thing I wanted to go back to, question four, which I thought was interesting. Um, uh, Rishi Sunak talking about all Keir Starmer does is sits on the fence, carps on the sidelines. 
Again, that, that came up again in our most recent focus group. Yes, I've heard it too. This is the thing that comes up again and again and again. They just say, all Keir Starmer does is oppose and criticise and moan. Uh, and I've spoken to people in the Labour Party, and they say we do need to move on and to have our own plans. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was with um, uh, quite a lot of senior Labour people um, at the weekend, um, uh, a sort of uh, social event with a mutual friend, and... Um, Several of them said to me, well, what do you think his four big plans are? Because I don't know. Yeah. Um, and we know what Sunaks are, and lots of people are quite rude about them, but um, we do know what they are now. Um, and I'm struggling to answer that question yeah. for Starmer, and I think a lot of people in the Labour Party are too. Yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, it was, just, it was notable that it appeared to be again using, you know, Boris Johnson's number 10 used it all the time, taking things that come up in focus groups, repeat them back to the public, and then that that, that has residence. Uh, well, let's um, see if... I mean, it's quite a mixed bag of uh, bobbins that Keir Starmer's uh, thrown up so far. So let's see if you can tie it all together in a nice little bow, and uh, then Richie Sunak can put a cherry on top. After 13 years in power, trying to blame the Labour Party for his failure to sort out the strikes is... It's rank pathetic. The Tory party's addiction to sleeves sure and scandal has done huge damage to this country <laughs> and the cost to the public keeps adding up. Yeah. We've got a justice system letting murderers walk the streets, yeah. heart attack victims waiting hours for an ambulance, yeah. an economy that's shrinking quicker than his leadership. Yeah. And even I couldn't quite believe it when I saw that his government is expecting taxpayers to pay the legal fees for the member for Uxbridge defending himself over his lockdown rule-breaking. A quarter of a million pounds. Surely even this Prime Minister can put his foot down, stand up to his old boss and tell him he made the mess, he can pick up the bill. Mr Speaker, he can't stand up to his union bosses. He can't... He, he, can't, he can't stand up for Britain's school children today. And he can't stand up for the women in his party, Mr Speaker. We're getting on, we're halving inflation, we're growing the economy, we're reducing debt, we're cutting waiting lists and we're stopping the boat. While he can't even figure out what he believes in, we'll keep delivering for Britain. So I think that makes it two, two a moral, union bosses. A, mor a moral victory for, for your sister, for my sister. Yeah. But uh, you know, neither of them mentioned paymasters. But we'll have to overlook that. Well, we'll gloss over that. Interestingly, Keir Star, um, Rishi Sunak, shoehorning in his list of five. It's one of the really striking things we talked about it uh, when we did our last focus group. He, he sort of launched his five priorities for the year. And what we haven't had is every minister shoehorning them in to every media appearance until we can well, all. Well, you and I are both old enough to remember when every single Tory press release came yeah. with the phrase "long-term economic plan" exactly. in it under David Cameron. We all routinely stopped sticking it in, but yeah. they kept putting it in their press releases and in every public statement they made and every broadcast appearance they made. And it's more difficult to run the canter through five yeah. priorities, but you know, uh, I mean. Uh, I think, objectively, um, Sunak's peroration was rather stronger than yeah, Starmer's, yeah, yeah. to be honest. And I, I was slightly surprised by Starmer's. Um, you know, yes, he made some good points, but um, he didn't really tie it up with a bow, as you no. said. And the purpose of this sleaze attack is to sort of say, this is this Prime Minister can't cope with his own party. Yeah. This Prime Minister isn't big enough to stand up and, you know, he's too busy worrying about his own party to deal with the things that matter, you know, and he's not strong enough to to cope with the people on his own benches, let alone yeah, the great yeah. problems of the world. And he didn't quite say that. Um, whereas, as you point out, 
Sunak hit his talking points um, and got in his, you know, um, strike jibes. And actually, actually, slightly showing a bit of leg on the fact that he's obviously annoyed that um, Keir Starmer didn't talk about strikes at all. Well, perhaps. And also, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the phraseology was interesting as well. Slight hostage fortune from Sunak. He kept saying, we're doing this. We're stopping yeah, the boats. Yeah, we are well, halving inflation. We are halving inflation. We are stopping the boats. Well, we are growing the economy. Not sure you've quite done, done that yet, mate. Yes. But anyway, um, but yes, no, I think um, after a, you know, a pretty decent outing from Starmer, I don't, I don't think it finished particularly strongly. And again, and got, you know, there were a couple of moments in that, um, I think question four and probably at the end, where the... Tory MPs were pretty content. Really cheering, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rank pathetic. Not sure what to think, make of that. Particularly, what, yeah, I probably shouldn't use My that again. My sister messages to say union bosses doesn't count, so she Oh, she's defeat. accepting defeat. There yeah. we are. Yeah, I probably won't, given my, my ability to pronounce a soft R, I might not attempt rank pathetic too often no. on the radio. We've just done PMQ's Unpacked, Rishi Sunat versus Keir Starmer, but... What happened on the backbench contributions? Lara Spirit, Times Redbox reporter, was watching along so that you don't have to. She's come hurtling into the studio. What news do you bring? Who are we going to hear from first? I news, I'm bringing news from uh, some some Scottish questions today. We're ah! going to hear from Stephen Flynn, who's obviously the SNP's representative. His second question uh, around that IMF report that we saw yesterday uh, with a particular reference to Brexit uh, and a not-so-enthusiastic defence of Brexit, I thought, but it'd be interesting to hear what you think from Rishi Sunak. OK, let's take a listen. Mr Speaker, let's, let's be clear. Taken together, 2022 and 2023 are expected to be the worst years for living standards since the 1930s. And the economy is expected to perform worse than sanction-hit Russia. So as the Brexit ship sinks with the Prime Minister and the Leader of the Opposition at the helm, does he blame those Scots who want to jump aboard the independence lifeboat? Mr Speaker, the, the, num the number one factor that is impacting people's living standards is inflation caused by high energy prices as a result of a war in Ukraine, Mr Speaker. It's got nothing to do with Brexit, and that's why the government is taking significant action, supporting every family with £900 this winter. But what I would say to him is, rather than obsess about constitutional arrangements, focus on delivering for the people of Scotland. That's what we will do. Hmm. I don't see what you mean, Lara. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly... He didn't own Brexit in the way that perhaps Boris Johnson would too? Uh, no, I think that's right. He was a sort of pragmatic Brexiteer. He's probably feeling pragmatically um, <laughs> a, a, bit, a bit disappointed with it at the moment. I mean, he did say it was nothing to do with Brexit, um, yeah. uh, to his credit, but... Uh, well, not his credit, but to, to yeah, give yeah. him credit for yes. defending the thing he voted for. But yes, it, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't a rolling peen of praise. Yeah. In a way Brits. that actually from, which, from Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson on his social media has been banging on about Brexit and the doomsters and the gloomsters and we need to all cheer up. Uh, indeed. So there we are. Now, uh, we had uh, Stephen Flynn, obviously leader of the SNP, but excitingly, bring us news, Lara, of what we're going to hear in just a moment. We had the return uh, for the first time uh, since his departure of Ian Blackford, his predecessor, uh, to loud cheers and good to have you back uh, from the floors of the house uh, with a question not wholly dissimilar from uh, Stephen Flynn. You do surprise me. <laughs> not wholly dissimilar from Stephen Flynn, uh, but take a listen to this because it is, uh, it's peak Ian Blackford and it's very characteristic uh, and it was just an interesting welcome back from the Commons. Well, unfortunately, I'm being told we can't find it. 
Can't find. I promise you, it happened. <laughs> Are you sure? Lara? I was so desperate. Were you, to have Ian Black were you daydreaming been, about? Uh, I've been Ian pining. Black for quite something. Yeah. I've been pining for. Oh, Ian I was Black so looking for forward so to this. Like, it's like one of those sort of comedians who stopped being funny years ago, but when they returned <laughs> in a sort of chat show interview years yeah. later, you think you feel very warmly towards them. Yeah, Billy Connolly. That's well, I think he stopped, stopped, stopped being he, he tailed off. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, we were just saying that um, Rishi Sunak managed to get the Tory MPs going in a way that I thought was... I mean, given the... the there was quite a lot of things that, that Keir Starmer had managed to sort of... could have gone on. Actually, it was big cheers, quite a lot of sort of volume from Tory MPs uh, cheering on Rishi Sunak today. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I thought that very clearly you could tell in Rishi Sunak's answers that he'd anticipated uh, more of a strike-heavy attack line from yeah, Keir yeah, Starmer, yeah. which then didn't happen. But nonetheless, the kind of greatest hits from Rishi Sunak around that minimum service legislation and, and union barons and paymasters, as you correctly predicted uh, before that session, Matt still came out and, you know, Tory MPs kind of very loyally loved it as well. So I think you're right to say that they were, uh, they were loud today. And also that just generally uh, on the kind of standard stuff, I think, you know, Tory MPs He's very aware that it's uh, it's their futures at stake too, and so they're quite keen to lend a lend a hand on his defence on that. And many of them sympathetic to the fact that Rishi Sunak does believe that he acted quickly on that, or as quickly as yeah. as possible. Many did believe do believe what uh, Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary, uh, said this morning, which is that you know it is right to wait for the outcome of uh, that investigation. I think MPs sympathetic to that line too. So yeah, you're right. I think very happy to uh, to cheer Rishi Sunak quite loudly today. And that's the argument number ten have been making. Look, you may not have liked how quickly this was done, but it's actually it stabilises the Tory. Party party to show people that there will be a process and that people won't just be kicked out um and you know that's quite good for internal morale which is a good part of what sunak is doing at the moment yeah 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 well we'll have to say unfortunately we can't find ian blackford anyway i think you might have imagined it he might have returned to his croft (laughs) (laughs) his humble croft uh but so we talked a lot about boris johnson today actually and uh, uh we can hear from him now he's been speaking to nadine doris She's got a new show on Talk TV, which starts uh, Friday this week. And uh, she asked him for his latest thoughts about Partygate. As you know, there's a, a, a parliamentary committee looking into some aspects of this. And I'd better be, you know... Of course. ...respectful of, of them. But I just repeat what I've, what I've said before, and I hope it's obvious to everybody, that, you know, anybody who thinks I was knowingly going to, to parties uh, that were breaking lockdown rules in, in Number 10 or and then knowingly covering up uh, parties that were illicit, that were other people going to... You know, that, that's, that's all strictly for the birds. If, people, if anybody thinks that, they're, they're out of their mind. Yeah, they're out of their mind, apparently, if they think that. Uh, and talking of talking up vaccines and Brexit... Well, we were talking about talking about Brexit. Here he is again, talking about the, the, the marvels, the life-saving marvels of Brexit. Had it not been for our ability to do our own regulation. Had it not been for the fact that uh, we come out of the the European Medicines Agency and the MHRA, uh, the the Medical Health Regulation Agency, was now totally free to decide how fast to to approve a a vaccine, we wouldn't have been able to do that vaccine rollout so fast. And, you know, it is literally true that Brexit helped save lives. And, you know, people's eyes you know, bulge a bit when you say that. But it, it happens to be true. And it's something it's, we it's, didn't hear a lot of the time. And, and, it's, and, it, yeah. and it, so it's... Um, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of all the work that those 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 people did. Hang on, that is... Were your eyes bulging, Matthew? They, well, my eyes bulge quite often. Uh, but there we are. There was Nadine Doris speaking to Boris Johnson. It's on her uh, talk TV show on, uh, on Friday night, showing Rishi Sunak how it's done.
That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.